0: This is episode 281 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are Brute Force versus Finesse, The Art of Working Axes, Guide to Buying Silver Online, Why, How, and What, and Conflicted, Friend Snaps, What Would You Do? Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsite Podcast.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 281. Hey, before we jump right into our articles, I wanted to share just two things really quickly with you. I came across an article, just someone posted it on Facebook. It's actually, it was an older article, December 2013. Uh, it's entitled, How the Nazis Used Gun Control. And uh, it's from nationalreview.com. But I thought it was just a good you know, explanation of the, of the path that uh, gun confiscation took uh, right before World War II and, and uh, the Nazis implemented their plan. And so I did link to that on the Facebook group. And so if you're interested in that, uh, if you haven't been over to the Facebook group in a while or you haven't, uh, you're not a member, I welcome you to come and check that out. It's a good little article there. Just it has some great information. And then um, just earlier today, I, you know, I didn't even I, I rarely watch TV. And so, I re, you know, I'm not really up to date on all the different uh, shows that are out there. But I was, you know, bouncing around on Twitter and I saw that. Uh, the new Roseanne show, right? Uh, so I guess it's the Roseanne reboot or 2.0 or a uh, revival, or whatever, that it just really blew away the ratings. And uh, they just, they just, you know, I guess that's kind of significant because she is, uh, you know, somebody who supports Donald Trump and uh, is a little bit more outspoken out there. And so I think this just blew people away and it's causing uh, actually since Earlier today, when I first read this article, I've noticed that uh, the Drudge Report has put out uh, a couple of other things on that, where Hollywood is kind of like taking notice of it, and uh, it goes back to you know this cultural thing, where you have the media and you have Hollywood and you have all these people that are promoting one way, but then where you know the the rubber meets the road, right? When you start hitting. Uh, the television stations in Hollywood in the pocketbook and they realize that they have a show like Roseanne who you know a lot of people in middle America came out to support it and maybe they they wanted to support it because uh, they were remembering the old Roseanne and they want to kind of pick up where it left off. Or maybe they do appreciate her being a little bit more outspoken and a supporter of Donald Trump. And they're like, hey, we want to support someone who believes the way we believe. And and they came out for it. So I think the real, well, I guess when I was reading the article, it was saying that there were some demographics and some things, some ratings that were very telling, you know, to where uh, it, it was a good sign. Like people kept coming on to watch it even while it was on. And so, it wasn't that people started out watching it and then dropped off. People, as, as the show went on, people, more people were watching it. And so, uh, they were saying that that's just kind of a good sign that it's going to take off. And I believe this premiere was actually uh, watched by more people than uh, the finale was uh, when, when it first went off the air. So, th- just kind of, I, I truly believe, you know, it was... Uh, middle America who just fed up with all, uh, rural, I, I want to say rural America, but it wasn't just rural America. It, it was, you know, the the, the middle class, the, the regular common people who just see all this junk and not not uh, Wall Street, but Main Street, right? You always hear politicians say that, but are just so f- tired of all the, the politics and all the junk and they see the media and they see right through all that deception. And they're like, you know what? We want to start uh, promoting and we want to start you know uh, supporting those people that believe a little bit more like us and so I mean that's that's I think maybe why uh, it was so popular and had so many views and, and great ratings so we'll see how it goes from here on out and see if it continues going all right so our first article of the podcast comes to us from my good friend Todd at survivalsherpa.wordpress.com uh, uh, Todd is a fellow educator and he does some really great stuff with kids um, he does the teaching he does all that kind of stuff and then he takes them outside they have a like a little bushcrafting uh, place man where they go and, and, and they do uh, bow drill and they do all kinds of other stuff and so um, and that's just really great to see his posts on Instagram and see those kids and when they get if you've never seen and I guess on Facebook as well um, but if you've if you've never seen his videos, when those kids finally get uh, their bow drill and, and they get a spark, oh my gosh! You should see their faces, man. Like, they like it's like they're they're so excited that they were able to uh, make fire in that primitive way. And so in this article, he's talking about uh, axes. He's been doing a lot of work with axes. He gets out there and gets it done. Uh, big kudos to him and uh, i love when he when he puts together an article he always has great pictures and he takes the time to to really do it up right but this article is entitled brute force versus finesse the art of working axis and you know it's one thing that you don't hear too much about even in the preparedness community you know if things really got crazy Um, you know, I got to really find a a term that I feel comfortable with. It's like uh, when the poop hits the fan or when the hammer drops or when the, you know, the balloon goes up or I really need to find a term that I'm comfortable with that uh, uh, that's just I I continue using. So everyone knows what I'm saying. But if the world goes crazy, like uh, a lot of people think that it might, we might be using primitive tools. And part of that would be going back to, you know, using, axes and hatchets and and uh, you know using using those primitive tools and I love what he does here because he helps you to understand you know somebody who's not familiar with it might think that more uh, strength and more force that you put behind an axe you're going to get you know more done and that is not necessarily true and he goes into that so let's go ahead and read this one again coming to us from survivalsherpa.wordpress.com so here we go Less than a century ago, woodsmen skilled with an axe could chop wood all day and return to do it again day after day. They were held in high esteem and highly sought after. Power saws and combustion engines sent yesteryear's axes to hang on old barn walls. Today the usefulness of axes seems to be limited to splitting firewood or for the lumber sexual as boutique wall hangers. How you choose to acquire wood is up to you. However, the steps of cutting timber hasn't changed. A tree must be felled, limbed, bucked, and hauled. Like other aficionados of working axes, I enjoy experimenting with the potential of our most underappreciated tool in the woods. It doesn't take long for the axe handle to transmit to an inexperienced axeman's brain and his muscular system, That brute force only dulls the functionality of his tool. Fatigue and frustration are the result, and injury is not far behind. There are no secrets to becoming a proficient axeman. However, there are a few techniques and strategies I've learned over the years which may shorten the learning curve. Giving unsolicited advice is not my thing, but if you'd like to continue, here's my take on thick axe handles, brute force, and working axes. Watching a beginner axeman swing is painful. I cringe when I think back on some of my early ax work, but axmanship can only be improved through swinging sharp steel on the end of a stick. Like any other skill, practice makes permanent, whether good or bad. When asked to coach someone new to the art of ax work, I try to convey the two types of forces used, finesse and brute force. The origin of the word brute comes from the Latin word brutus, meaning heavy, stupid, unreasoning. Set the macho aside in axe work and you get a beautiful rhythmic relationship between the wood and axeman. Muscling through wood is a white knuckle affair. I broke my favorite double bit handle last year, not by overstrike or mishit, but by stupidly applying my full brute force throughout initial contact. The handle was thin, flexible, and a joy to use. Brute force ended its usefulness. It is now taped together and serves as a pattern when thinning down Fat Factory double-bit handles. Simply reducing my forward force just before the moment of impact would have allowed the inertia of the axe head to do the work. Giving that extra push through the strike does more harm than good. You'll not only save axe handles, you'll reduce some shock set up the handle. A thinner handle flexes to help absorb and reduce the beating on your body. At least that has been my experience. Wielding an axe with brute force is not how the old-timers lasted all day, day after day. This type of finesse is seldom mentioned or passed down to inexperienced axemen. The resurgence of interest in axes is encouraging to see in an outdoorsy group. Axes are chic, sexy, and scary, all reasons we like them. The novice buys a high dollar axe and proceeds to break the fat factory handle even after adding a bulky leather overstrike collar. Handle manufacturers compensate for low axe IQ with fatter handles. And then again, the age of working axes was so long ago that even commercial handle ma- makers have no reference point as to what a handle should look like and feel like in the hands thicker modern handles are not the cure wrapping your hands around these clubs makes the uninitiated think they'll never break Stephen edholm makes a logical argument from actual experience with working axes for thinner handles in the video below anyone who chopped all day with an axe will echo the same and so there's a video here you can check out No replacement handle I've ever bought in recent memory was ready to hang and go to work. To be fair, there may be some turnkey handles out there. I've never found them. I either make my own or customize the club-like handles from hardware stores. Then there's the rare occasion of finding that forgotten axe at an antique store or yard sale grandpa used before the chainsaw came along. You can see the noticeable difference between the modern and old working axe handles below. And so he has pictures here uh, of the one that he broke that he talked about and then uh, a new one that he purchased. And uh, like I said, great pictures. And uh, he shows um, you know the, the, the one that he broke on top of the newer one. And I guess he's like, like he said, he's using that as a template so that he can uh, you know make it into a thinner axe handle. Alright, here we go. On occasion, I have split toothpicks, stem dent, matchstick-sized toothpicks with my axe. I don't say this to brag. It is, however, a lesson in muscle memory, striking where I look and relaxing at the end of my swing. Knowing I'm not chopping heavy wood, I begin to notice that I was unconsciously easing up about halfway into the downward arc of my natural swing. As a result, I'd hit my mark more times than not. The human brain is a butymous, complicated computer. Since few people actually use axes, baseball may help illustrate the point. A pitcher doesn't aim the baseball as it leaves his outstretched arm. The ball is thrown, not aimed. There is a significant difference in the two. The same goes for batting. I coached my players to throw their hands at the ball. This is oversimplified, but the brain tells a player when to grip the bat tightly and when to relax the grip. A death grip at the beginning of the swing tightens the muscles in the arms, shoulders, and upper torso, causing the swing to be herky-jerky. As a result, accuracy plummets since the flow is lost. Through years of drills, coordination, practice, and timing, batters learn that aiming won't hit the target. I don't aim my axe. I look at the exact spot I want my blow to land. I then throw my hands through an imaginary plane from my nose to the small target. My only swing thought is strike where I look. My natural controlled swing gets the job done more efficiently. Once you can strike where you look, power will follow follow accuracy. So Wasted axe strikes are frustrating and exhausting, making every blow count takes a combination of accuracy and precision. At first glance, the two words seem the same, but in my world of teaching math and science, they have different meanings, so let's apply them to working axes. Accuracy is how close you come to the desired result. Precision is how consistently you get the same result using the same method. Translated to axemanship, does my swing hit the target and is it consistent enough to repeatedly hit the target and there's a another video here with uh with todd and uh, it's entitled bucking with feet on the ground when bucking i try to overlap each cut in a three to four swing pattern depending on long log diameter down the face of the log this overlapping pattern opens wood fibers to help prevent the axe bit from getting stuck in the wood repeat this cutting pattern one double bit length wide from the first line of cuts if accuracy and precision is dialed in chips the size of a notch will go flying developing accuracy and precision with working axes is like hauling logs you got to really want to do it there's not a lot of finesse in log hauling keep doing the stuff of self-reliance todd all right so again uh, I think it's a shorter article, but a great one and one that's uh, so important because these are kind of like lost skills here. Uh, like I said, Todd's been doing a lot of work here. If, you've, if you follow him, um, I think he's working on, uh, on a log cabin. And so he's, he's taking care of a, of a lot of uh, getting a lot of uh, pieces together so that he can go ahead and, and, and put that together. But um, a lot of great information because I know that he's been swinging the axe for a while now. Um, and actually, I've done uh, articles on the podcast previously about that, but I think it's just so important to remember. And then, because we don't go out there and uh, swing the axe so uh, so very often, it's something to definitely put in the back of our mind. So when we go, maybe we can um, you know do it with a little bit more thought behind it, and not necessarily you know trying to crush the the wood, you know, not trying not to break it with uh, with the axe but instead really chopping it and really thinking through what we're doing. And uh, you can you, you won't wear yourself out um, like Todd is saying here. And at the same time, you get more done so you can um, go after it day after day. All right. So, again, like I said, that's over at survivalsherpa.wordpress.com. And like always, I will link to it in the show notes. Make sure you come by and check out those videos. Our next article comes to us from backdoorsurvival.com. This article is entitled, Guide to Buying Silver Online, Why, How, and What? And, you know, a while back, there used to be a lot of articles on silver. I mean, I, I know that I was seeing a whole lot of them um, back when silver, probably about maybe three years ago when silver was a little bit higher, like around the 20, the spot the spot range was around $20, $21. Um, you know, I've seen also a lot of other articles where people are, are talking more about hey maybe you need to be focusing more like on food and water than putting away silver and there's definitely a place for silver or precious metals in your preparedness if you have all the other things taken care of first And so I I think um, Backdoor Survival here does a good job of explaining maybe why or when you would buy some precious metals and specifically silver. And so uh, let's go ahead and get into this article uh, because I think it's something that you need to know, right? Everybody in preparedness needs to know. So here we go. If you want to buy silver as security for financial collapse or as bartering items for down the line, You need to know what kind of silver to buy, how to tell if it's pure, and where to buy it from. We'll go over all of that and more in this article. And not everyone will agree that a prepper should be buying precious metals, never mind silver specifically, as part of their preps. Critics think that precious metal stackers would be better off spending their money elsewhere, or that the kind of SHTF event a stacker is envisioning just won't happen. But even for non-preppers, buying precious metals in general is seen as protection against inflation. Those who are wealthy enough to employ a wealth management firm will have some portion of their assets in precious metals as security, but no one will have all of their assets in precious metals because you should never put all of your eggs in one basket. Buying physical precious metal is seen as protection from hyperinflation. Market and currency crashes, and government asset seizure. The idea is that precious metals never lose their value over the long term, don't expire or degrade if stored well, and represent a lot of wealth in a small package. If you can secure your precious metals outside of a bank, then you avoid being unable to access your wealth when the bank collapses. And in some circumstances, that is, like Venezuela, the government may try to seize your assets during a crisis. They won't find what's buried in your yard. There is another school of thought in the precious metal world that society will collapse completely and revert to using gold and silver as currency, even in large-scale collapses where the fiat currency is all but useless. Like in Venezuela, people do not revert to using silver and gold currency. Now, I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to disagree here, just to a point. Um, I know that uh, I've uh, listened to uh, Fernando Aguirre or Geary or furfall talking about the, the issues in Argentina. I also know that uh, in watching videos about uh, the financial collapse in Argentina that people were using gold and they were like using uh, chains right so uh, if they had jewelry they were using you know that that type of gold because that was available but they were they would have used gold coin and or bullion um precious metals if they would have had it and so uh, maybe in venezuela not so much but i know that it was happening in argentina so i uh, kind of disagree with that to a point but i understand what the author is saying here as far as uh you know right now we're not hearing so much about that in venezuela Alright, it would take a very wide scale collapse and then a very long recovery period before it would make sense to use silver or gold as a medium of exchange again. The odds of this are extremely unlikely. In the meantime, you'd be better off if you put money into other preps. But if you really want to prep for this scenario, who am I to stop you? So we'll move into discussing how to get your hand on silver with those two scenarios in mind. In either of our scenarios, you want to own physical silver. Owning shares, stocks and mining companies, or anything other than the physical metal in your hand does not protect you from currency crashes and other economic crises. Just because you own something doesn't mean the bank, the company, or the government will give it to you. There are many types of physical silver. Government-issued bullion coins, like the American Silver Eagle, is the simplest silver to access. That being said, you can buy silver in other denominations, including anything from large bars, to spoon collections, to tiny scraps of silver. If you intend to barter with the silver one day, buy some in small amounts as change. These denominations will be measured in troy ounces or OZT. Precious metals have been measured in troy ounces since the 15th century and it's helpful to maintain the same standard so older coins and bars can be understood but it's confusing to precious metal newcomers a troy ounce is 31.21 grams unless you're a collector you want this silver to be junk or bullion silver junk silver is silver coins made pre-1965 both junk and bullion silver is only as valuable as the actual amount of metal it is what it would cost if you melted it down Don't pay extra for collector coins, special edition bars, or anything else that has extra expense attached to it. So where should I buy silver from? The more trustworthy your source of silver, the more that source is going to charge you. At first, you'll want to get your feet wet by buying small amounts of silver from your government, a bank, or an official mint dealer. If you're in the United States, you can find an official mint bullion coin seller here. For reliable British sources, look at this Telegraph article. Canadians can try the Royal Canadian Mint. Usually, you can avoid some of the premium cost on silver from these sources by ordering in larger quantities. As a second source of relatively secure silver, you can try various online sources like Golden Eagle, APMEX, JM Bullion, Provident Metals, Scottsdale Silver, or Gold Silver. Usually they'll charge less than a mint or bank. You should avoid shipping internationally seeing as metal is heavy and taxes on silver can be large, so find an online source that operates in your country. When deciding on a company, check their Better Business Bureau rating. Ask anyone you know who buys silver what they what they've heard about the company. Look at online reviews, search online with the company's name and scam and bankruptcy in the search box start small. After one smaller purchase from the company, you'll see if you had the kind of experience you you expect. When making your purchase, you should always check the spot price for yourself and ensure the company lists that price accurately. Hey, so um, just going off of these uh, names here, um, I have had people in the past uh, as advertisers. So JM Bullion for the very longest time was an advertiser on prepper website and i never heard anything negative about them and i believe they had free shipping even if you bought bought a small piece uh, it was it was uh free shipping on that and so uh you know normally the big players like jm bullion and golden eagle and ap max if they start getting a bad reputation that's going to hurt their business so they're not going to do that so just, you know, FYI on that. You want to go with the bigger ones. Uh, and, um, you know, like I said, I, I never heard anything negative of, uh, about uh, JM Bullion ever. And they're not an advertiser anymore. So I'm not really, you know, I don't really get any benefit from telling you that. Just letting you know that's been my experience. All right. Continuing on the problem with buying from official and online sources is they charge you a significant amount above spot price. They have to make money of course. They especially make money on silver dollars which go for a few dollars above spot price. That's part of why buying physical silver is a poor short-term investment. You lose more in fees and taxes than you would ever gain in a short-term market shift. You buy physical silver only as long-term security and there is a cost to it. Speaking of taxes, depending on your country and or state, you may have to tell the government about your silver purchase and pay taxes on it. Some people try to avoid this, but I really wouldn't recommend that. Pay your taxes on your silver. If a tyrant or thief comes knocking for it, you can always say that you lost or sold most of it or that someone else already stole it. It is generally cheaper to buy silver from an individual, but there is a lot more risk. You can find people looking to sell on eBay, K I J I J I, I've never heard of that one actually, uh, and uh, Reddit's Silverbugs community. Or you can look for people at your local flea market, pawn shop, or antique shop. When, you, when you're buying from an individual, it's best to have the advice of someone who is experienced with silver on your side. If not, it's best to refuse to purchase anything that you haven't researched beforehand. This is especially true about collector items. In fact, if you say you want junk silver and the person keeps offering you collector items, don't buy from them. Also, don't buy from them if they lie to you about spot price, try to swindle you by referring to ounces instead of troy ounces, are trying to sell you a piece of paper instead of the physical silver, or are dishonest in some other way. If it's too good to be true, it it isn't true. Trust your instincts. Don't forget that you can also check through your change for junk silver it's rare you'll find something but it happens there's always metal detecting too so long as you have permission to do it if you find an interesting coin and you're not sure what it is don't clean it before you find out you could reduce its value so is it real silver when buying silver you're going to want to verify that it is indeed silver anything you buy directly from your mint or bank is real of course and starting there can help you understand what silver sounds like when struck with other metal be gentle how fast silver melts ice faster than all other metals and what it feels like next to a strong magnet it doesn't stick and so there is a video here that says spot fake silver coins with magnetic slide if you're buying an American Silver Eagle or something with known details like lettering, images, etc., you can check to see if the details are correct. If you can, have a real American Silver Eagle with you for comparison. You can also use acid test on silver. These tests are cheap to purchase online, but there are some drawbacks. First, whatever bullion you test may reduce slightly in value. If it were, If it was a collector's item, it will reduce more. Also, this test doesn't tell you if the object is pure silver or just silver plated, sometimes called silver clad. Okay, I'm going to talk about this just in a minute because I don't believe you should be doing acid tests on silver. The best way for you to test silver at home is by combining tests for sound, magnetism, and visual details with a weight test. Silver.com describes a pretty straightforward testing method. First, see if the weight of the item matches the weight printed on it. Any significant difference from that weight is counterfeit. The same goes for dimensions. You need a caliper to measure dimensions. Any mint will keep their coins or bullion strictly within margins of error. You'll need to find out what those margins are for every different kind of bullion though. A quick google search should tell you. For the second weight test, you need a container of water that will allow your silver items to be submerged without touching the bottom or sides. Place the container on the scale, zero it out, and then suspend the item in the container by a string. The silver slacker demonstrates the technique in the video below. So there's a video there. As the silver slacker demonstrates, you have to divide the weight by the submerged weight. In the case of pure silver, this should result in 10.49. The silver stacker is a little bit more lenient with his final weights than I would be, but it sounds like he's working with a less than precise scale and this test alone isn't sufficient you can get the right weight from mixing other metals but these mixes will fail the magnet and or sound test silver will tarnish and scratch so it needs to be protected keep it in a watertight container vacuum sealing and oxygen absorbers will help protect the silver from wear don't store it directly in pvc plastics or rough materials like paper plastic cases should be hard not soft once you have it in a good container where do you put it well here are some ideas in your house in a hidden safe some people have decoy safes with fake valuables to outsmart thieves a safe that is bolted down a locked ammo box a locked gun safe inside of a wall beneath a false floor or ceiling outside beneath a shed in a plant pot in the roots of a specific plant under patio stones and deck not too far from your home you want it to be easy to access um i i wouldn't recommend putting it outside or burying anything like money or that Uh, i know someone who uh, did bury some money back um, in their backyard and uh, they went to go get it you know after a while and it was all soaking wet and uh, the bank would not take it because it just it looked weird and so they had to dry it all out and uh, you know go go from there but anyway, just uh, FYI on that. Um, I'm not saying you can't, you shouldn't bury caches, you know, if you make a cache or whatever. But I don't know about, you know, um, money or silver or something like that. I think there's plenty of places in your home that you can, that you can, uh, you can do that, uh, or that you can hide stuff. All right, continuing on with this part uh, to avoid metal detectors. I guess this is if you're uh, hiding something, uh, and this goes for anything. If you're hiding anything uh, outside in the ground. Uh, to avoid metal detectors within metal pipes in your walls bury boring metal items a few feet above the silver and inside of other metal things like unused washing machines and so i remember yeah articles where they bury a cache and then uh you know they, they they go ahead and put the dirt back over it and then about a, a foot before you get to the surface they drop a bunch of n- nails and bolts and different things like that that will give like a people that are were using a metal detector it'll be like a false uh, you know a false hit all right uh, the last paragraph here says don't tell people that you have silver never mind where you hit it except do immediately tell someone you trust who is younger than you where you buried or hid your silver like an adult child a friend who you really trust who is a few decades younger or a trusted adult niece or nephew that way if you develop memory issues even before you grow old the younger person will be able to help you find your silver all right Good, good article here. I think the article is like extremely thorough, probably like really, really thorough. Um, I don't know people who actually, when when they're putting their, their silver up or they're stacking their silver, they're not using like oxygen absorbers or anything like that. I mean, a lot of the times, depending on, on how you purchase it, even like, uh, it, you know, you, it'll come like in a little sleeve if you're just buying uh, a single um, a single coin or, you know, something like that. Um, and so, if you just you know take care there, and, and you're you're not just like letting it get wet and, and in a humid place and all that kind of stuff, it's going to be fine. Um, I do I do know people that have purchased junk silver or you know pre 1965 dimes and quarters uh, off of eBay, and the trick for eBay, just like you know just like Amazon, right, is you look at the person's reviews you look at how many, you know, how many people have had problems with them. So if they have had tons of sales and they've had no people have problems or one or two and they were resolved very quickly, then you can feel safe, you know, going with that person. Um, Then again, where you're you're, you're testing all the, you know, using the acid test and the water test and and the, the magnet test. Again, if you were to buy from, uh, somebody like J.M. Bullion or one of the, the, the bigger uh, mints, then you wouldn't have to deal with that. Um, I do, like if you, if you were really looking to do this, the junk silver might be a place where you start, and then maybe the American Silver Eagles. They're a little bit more expensive, but they are the ones that are very well known. Those are the ones that people know for sure. Uh, they're distinctive and so you might want to stack some of those if, you, if you're going to stack silver. But anyway, good article over here. Something to think about. Again, I do recommend, and it was kind of mentioned here in this article, that before you start looking at precious metals, that you, you make sure that you have a preparedness plan in place. You have food. You have water. Uh, you know, you have the basics down. And then when you feel, you know, your long-term food storage, right, um, however you, you, choose to do that, whether you're going to buy dehydrated, some dehydrated and you're going to make some food buckets and you're going to add to your pantry with canned food, when, you know, whatever you do there after you have all that set, then start thinking about looking into silver and getting, and getting some of that. Um, I remember that James Wesley Rawls did a great article. Um, actually it was part of a, a book off of, uh, the survival, uh, Patriots, uh, series, and uh he i guess the young people there was uh, two brothers whose dad had passed away and they found like a hidden wall with a bunch of silver and the dad left them a, a a letter uh explaining about silver and inflation and keeping its value i thought it was so um i, I thought that was an interesting piece of that uh, of that chapter that i uh emailed um James Wesley Rawls and I said, "Hey, can can I use that for the preparedness review?" And uh, so, if you're interested in that, you can go to thepreparednessreview.com. Actually, I'm going to link to link link to it in the show notes, and you can go over there and uh, you can see that because I, I know that I've mentioned it before, and uh, I'll just make it easy for you in, and uh, link it uh, in the show notes, and you can go check it out and download. You know, I'd recommend downloading those PDFs. There's, I, I mean huge pdfs with a lot of great content the type of content that you would want to print out and keep so uh, i'm going to go ahead and link to that in the show notes all right a good article over here at backdoor survival and lots of links you can come check out all right because it is the thursday podcast i always do a conflicted scenario conflicted is a card game uh, a survival card game where uh, each card has a uh, a scenario on it, and the scenario would cause you to make decisions that could be conflicting for you, you know, for, for your morals or uh, for your survival, right? And so, uh, I'm going to go ahead and read this article uh, or read the scenario. I do place the scenarios over on EdThatMatters.com, and so if you'd like to, um, if you'd like to comment on the scenario or you'd like to give your two cents of what you would do. Uh, on this one then you know feel free to come on over to ed that matters i'll link to it in the show notes as well and here's the trick um, a lot of the times people will say i will never find myself in that position ever 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 especially in the one that i'm about to read there's a lot of you that said i will never be in that position ever so here's the thing don't go there instead choose to, choose to say okay if what i know about preparedness if i was in this situation what would i do and so, again, you can just, you know, it could be a nice mental exercise. If you're driving in the car with someone and they're listening, y'all can talk it through. Or you could, uh, like I said, come over to Ed the Matters and drop what you would uh, do in this scenario in the comment section. So, without further ado, here we go. Here's the scenario. At the edge of the collapse, a close friend who isn't a prepper begs you to help buy him and his young family some supplies. Upon your arrival, the supermarket is packed with people who want to secure supplies as well and emotions are running high. Your friend separates from you to grab something and suddenly an argument breaks out over food. Three men try to intimidate your friend. He snaps and pulls out a weapon, incapacitating two of the men. Chaos takes over. The police are on their way. What would you do in this situation? Alright, so that's a different type of scenario that we've had before. So let me read it one more time. At the edge of the collapse, a close friend who isn't a prepper begs you to help buy him and his young family some supplies. Upon your arrival, the supermarket is packed with people who want to secure supplies as well and emotions are running high. Your friend separates from you to grab something and suddenly an argument breaks out over food. Three men try to intimidate your friend he snaps and pulls out a weapon incapacitating two of the men. Chaos takes over. The police are on their way. What would you do in this situation? All right. So like I said, over at EdThatMatters.com, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. There is an article that goes right along with this that I wrote a while back. It's entitled, Could you make a final run to the store before the SHTF? Think it through. And so that is linked at the bottom of the conflicted scenario if you're interested in that one. I wrote that one a while back and uh, had a lot of interest in that one. All right, guys. Well, that is it for episode 281. Hey, don't forget that we are on social media. Prepper website is on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'd love to connect with you there. And if you are not part of the Facebook group, I'd love for you to come join us over there as well. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.